passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome back to the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dylan White. You're not the master of the robot any longer. You have a new title, and that is uh, Grand Champion of Fantasy Baseball. If you haven't heard, Brian Slack, who is also joining us today, and Dylan White took down the NFBC main event. If you're not familiar with the NFBC, it is the National Fantasy Baseball Contest a Championship. It is the largest fantasy baseball contest, I'd say, of its kind. It's the largest high-stakes contest of its kind. Um, I would say that winning this contest probably comes with uh, you know as much uh, awards and accolades and celebration as any. Um, to kind of draw a parallel here for those of you that are listening that are unfamiliar, it would probably be like taking down the World Series of Poker for fantasy baseball. I think that's probably what the equivalency is here. But Dylan, Brian, welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. Good as always. (laughs) (laughs) Chipper as always. (laughs) So um, I wish we had a photo here, but um, you were talking a little bit about this off air, and I thought it might be an interesting jumping off point. But... um, if we took a picture of you guys like July 4th or for you Canada day up there in, in <laughs> Canada, Dylan, and we compared it to Monday morning, <laughs> it, was it like, it, would it be like a, like a presidential like photo? Like when you see the president, when he's first elected and how young and vibrant they look. And then by like at the end of their third year, they're like completely gray and like wrinkled. <laughs> was it like that? Like, have you guys aged just from, the stretch run here, I would imagine the last two to three weeks had to be like, in, especially the last week, but the last two to three weeks as this chase was happening, that had to be incredibly stressful. Either of you can take this question. <laughs> I, I'll, um, 
I obviously my voice is shot. I uh, I think I the last month was pretty uh, intense. I was not getting a lot of sleep, and then um, my wife and daughter were a little bit sick before I went on the I went to the Bay Area for the weekend, and I think I was able to hold it off until then. But as soon as I got back, I've just crashed, and so my voice sounds terrible. So I will let Dylan do most of the talking. But uh, in terms of aging, I think I did say at one point that I look like uh, Jeff Van Gundy in Game Six of the uh, Easter Conference Finals, uh, just bags under my eyes, barely hanging on. Uh, pretty much uh, across the board. And now your hands also sore from high-fiving everyone you pass on the street. <laughs> Is that Brian Slack? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we, we, I think we got to first just at the end of August, like August 30th or something like that. And we've been trying to hold on and we had some of our worst like offensive weeks in those first like three weeks of September coming to the final week. And it was very difficult and very stressful and like the fab decision seemed like so important um that yeah it was very stressful we were i was waking up very early in the morning and just thinking like running through my head of like decisions we made or should have made and um just wonder what the weather's going to be like in all these cities as our opponents had like two steps and all that stuff so yeah very difficult um but uh rewarding in the end i guess was there a point, because um, you had, like, not a huge lead, but you had a decent lead going into the last weekend, and I was sort of tracking it and Googling on my phone, uh, main event <laughs> leaderboards. Um, was there a point where you felt like you had it, like, even on Sunday or even even on Saturday? Because once you get to this point, obviously, and you're stressing about every game, you're pretty meticulous, and I'm sure you probably are fairly well aware of who your opponents are rostering uh, at that point. And the other thing I'll ask about this too, just kind of as an add-on, with the two guys, two three guys that were kind of in the mix there at the end, um, were there any common players between between the four teams? Uh, uh, the, the last, so second through eighth kept changing. Like those guys, one guy would have like a 175 point uh, which is good day um, and like pass a bunch of guys. And then the next day he dropped 40 and then someone else will jump um, guys who were like second and third and who are, who we thought were our main competitors at the beginning of September ended up kind of dropping back to like sixth and ninth. So um, I was tracking the, like the starting pitchers for the week that they had. And a couple guys had Tanner Scott. Um, we did not have Tanner Scott. Um, so Brandon King, actually the guy who finished runner up, um, saves were kind of his best category and he had five closers going, including Tanner Scott. Um, so when he went on paternity leave, for example, it was a, a huge shift in sentiment. And then when he came back after one of the games was rained out, so he didn't miss as many games as we'd hoped. It was like, oh no, uh, we're back in the crosshairs, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Brian, do you have anything to add? I don't even remember the initial question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Dylan, <clears throat> uh, this should not surprise anybody, is, is super vigilant and like, okay, how are we under attack? How can we lose points, right? And so he would come up with these like uh, just rosters in, in like uh, the SGP or like points gained for each home run or in Brandon King's uh, case, like every save, right? So like here's how many potential points he has. And obviously like nobody's going to hit every potential point that they have. But when you're looking at all the potential points um, a team has at the beginning of the week, right, at the beginning of that last week, there was definitely no feeling of, of we had this uh, even remotely wrapped up. I think that that was um, as I mean, I think we probably felt better. Uh, Dylan, correct me, like two weeks prior to that, you know, kind of like 
mid-September. And then we did feel a little bit better on like, I think, you know, maybe Friday and Saturday started to feel a little like, not that it was definitely secure by any means, but maybe a little bit better. But Monday, I think it was a pretty low and shrinking lead and uh, very susceptible, including uh, who was the guy that had all the starters? Was that uh, Ian Khan and Robert Merced? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They had nine starters and every win they got would be like 30 points and there were only like 250 back. And it was just, I could see the the catastrophe scenario playing out <laughs> and I was very panicked about them. So most of my job, um, Jeff was to, to kind of just like be the, the emotional kind of, you know, barometer and kind of just like bring it and like, just try to like focus and try to, you know, focus on what we could control and, and just try to have a little fun with it. So that was my big contribution. <laughs> yeah. And the other question I had was, um, were there any common players like hitters, pitchers between yourself and those teams that were in the hunt? Like just, consistently common names just for our listeners it's always interesting to hear i think i mean there were a couple with strider up there and i think a really interesting subplot or development that happened was was at one point when we were in maybe the top four or five i think there were at least three or four teams that had otani in the top 10 which was you would have thought acuna there were no acunas that i know of in the top maybe seven or eight but uh there were at one point there were maybe four i think uh, Otani's in, in the top 10. So, um, you know, him, he went down obviously with the injury with about maybe a month or six weeks to play. And, um, and then, yeah, there was Strider. Uh, there's some Yandy Diaz in there. I think Seeger, Corey Seeger was on a couple of our guys. Like we had him and then also uh, a couple guys had him. But I think the Acuna, like no one having Acuna who are in the top just kind of blew my mind because you'd think that it's like everyone has Acuna, everyone has Strider, everyone has Bobby Wood Jr. or something. But it was no Acuna, which I think is very interesting in how like the roster construction plays out during a draft. I guess like maybe he was a third pick overall or something. I don't know what his ADP was. And then I guess coming back, you don't have a good selection of like starters maybe by that point. I don't know. It just it was weird the way it kind of played out. That is kind of interesting because I would I would imagine that in your more standard like 12-team Roto Leagues that having Acuna was probably uh, fairly valuable. But I guess it's all, all on how you play it throughout the year, of course, and what you pair with that player. But um, the 40-70 season, you would think, would <laughs> do some heavy lifting, but uh, not so much in this uh, the still-in-base environment. Let's back it up a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, initially, the draft strategy. Um, how did you guys feel coming out of it? Um, what was sort of the approach uh, – what do you think were your strengths that sort of carried you through as well? Cause I'm sure there was some, some positives that you could take away. I, so I haven't quite, you know, Dylan, I didn't really connect. We were just sweating the last like week so much. So I'd kind of like to hear Dylan's version of how the draft went. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I'm the type of person who sweats the draft. Um, I'm huge on like optimizing and getting all the value. And that doesn't really work in a, like when you're have a minute, on the clock to make a decision um, or else it just kind of magnifies all the anxiety. So what happened was this is, this is my recollection of how it went. Brian had three teams that he had, he had uh, entered already, but he kept getting a bad draft slot. Well, not a bad draft slot. He got a, a common draft slot near the back. He had like pick 12, pick 14, pick 13. And he wanted, he wanted to have at least one team that had a, like an earlier draft slot. So he, he did this fourth team this unsound methods team he said i'm going to do one more because i need to get a pick like 
nut in the back because I'm sick of it. It ended up being pick 15. So you're like, it all started off like badly of mm -hmm. like not being able to uh, get what he wanted. And what happened was his third team's draft was like two hours before this unsound methods draft. Um, and so he asked for me to be on the phone with him to watch the, the queue and the draft room because he's going to have both like drafts open. And when it was our turn, like give him a heads up. And like after we we had some targets that he had put together of like who he wanted and kind of a strategy of how he wanted to unfold. And he had like guys he wanted in like red and guys he didn't want in green or whatever. Um, and it was like after we make a pick, I would fill the queue for who we expected to come back to us and who we were going to target next. And it was like I was just in awe of how calm he was. Like I'm panicked and I'm just filling the queue, and this guy is like, "Oh, hold on a sec, hold on, I'm just gonna make this pick here. Let me see here. Yeah, bing." And then he comes back. So where are we? I'm like, "It's 52 seconds. <laughs> are we taking Eflin or what?" And you just, "Yeah, let's go Eflin." Like totally calm. Like it's just like the experience of being in these high stakes drafts for so many years is just like, it's like old hat to him or something. But um, we came out of it. We hit the targets we wanted most of the time. Um, uh, I don't think there are any things where we're sniped too badly, or at least you kind of rolled with it, Brian. Um, I know we wanted Miguel Vargas, for example. I kind of remember that, and he got taken, and I I was bummed personally because I I really wanted Miguel Vargas. Um, but yeah, no, that's how, that's how I remember the draft. It was just like I'm panicked, trying to fill the queue, and you're just calm as a cucumber, just like systematically knocking off the targets you had and like hmm, you know what let's go with a let's go with a third baseman this time and like i would just couldn't believe it because i'm like i was drenched in sweat by the end of it it was very funny <laughs> that's awesome that's hysterical uh yeah i that sounds um it's hysterical i um uh, yeah we had two two going at the same time i, I remember that now we, we were multi-tabling and uh yeah it was um pretty intense which is I don't know about calm. It seemed like I think you might be uh, painting me in a favorable light there. I I definitely get like some of these things. I get uh, can't really eat for a few hours before the drafts. I usually get pretty excited and uh, lose my appetite. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the draft. I do not like historically. Uh, obviously, that would change now. But I do not like historically the first or the fifteenth or even really the second and the fourteenth type of picks. I usually like the you know the fourth or the fifth. And then the 11, 12, 10, something like that. Cause I like to capitalize on some, what I, you know, perceived value that might drop throughout the draft and kind of be, I feel like, you know, have some flexibility. I feel pretty comfortable, like, uh, you know, adjusting a little bit on the fly. So, like, if some value were to, you know, perceived value were to fall, I could take it and then pivot and do some other things uh, and kind of maneuver the draft. But, um, but yeah, in the, in the ends, you're really just like, man, I hope, I hope these two guys get here or two of these three, you know? And then uh, I think for the most part, we were, uh, pretty pleased, especially early on. I think later we did get sniped pretty hard, but uh, yeah, we got a few of our, our targets for sure. Yeah, you were definitely, our first two picks for the listeners were Mookie Betts and mm -hmm. Spencer Strider. And Brian was over the moon that we got both of those guys because we thought that we wouldn't get both. We get one of them and we, which way would we go? Would we go with like Strider and then figure out who our bat would be? Or do we get Mookie and then figure out what, who our second pick will be and we end up getting both and so that that really set the tone right away um and i remember you were really chuffed bro I, I was very excited i was that's true and uh yeah not to keep going on about but i do have a, a couple different teams i had already had freddie freeman and austin riley on different teams so those guys were kind of out of the question at that point so it was like really you know what my other options were there um 
I'm not, I'm not too sure kind of some of the stuff we would have done, but Machado went right before Machado went at 14, Bobby Witt at 13, Jordan Alvarez at 12, and then Vlad Jr. at 11. So left Strider and bets. Yeah. So certainly some, um, some luck there in terms of how the, the cookie crumbles, I suppose, and the draft in the first round fell because that fell about as well as it possibly could have fallen for you guys, frankly. Right. Um, so I, you know, I thought, uh, Dylan had a really interesting uh, tweet a couple days ago, um, sort of about the chase and what led up to, you know, getting to the top overall spot. Um, said May 21st, you guys were 480th place overall, uh, 10th in the league as well. Um, what changed from that point forward? Um, were there any waiver wire ads um you know any players that all of a sudden just sort of busted out that you had in the roster uh what changed at that pivot point we'll say of may 21st um where you guys started to ascend up the rankings so after i tweeted that um someone commented saying were there exactly your question were there any any pickups and i went to uh todd whitestone fdn fantasy does like a weekly kind of fab thing and he did like a uh, a retrospective of the year about the team and so i went to it to say like yeah who did we pick up because i know he, he went over the pickups and on may 21st we picked up tristan Cassis, um who was obviously kind of scuffling but he was kind of doing well on my spreadsheet and uh, we talked about it and we said yeah you know let's bid i think we bid like 80 bucks for him mm-hmm. which was uh fairly high like we don't usually bid that high um maybe this is all history Oh, yeah, we had a Chris <laughs> Boobage incident earlier um, that we don't speak about. Okay. Um, Delete this. Post. <laughs> but I think, so For so what I do um, for all my leagues, and I did the same thing for this, is I have a spreadsheet of everyone's team. I have the whole league's team. I, I update the standings, and then I, like, have the projections, and I have, like, the projected standings, and kind of track how we're going and like what happens if we put this player in or that player in and at one point like i said to brian i don't know if it was may 21st but i'm like do we are we trying to win the league or are we only focusing on the overall like and and maybe sacrifice the league and he's like no question he's like we're doing the overall like i don't care if i lose the league we're going for the overall and that completely kind of changed me because i was just like i'm here for the ride and i want to you know win some main event leagues or something and I'm like, what? I'm going to miss out on winning a league, but all right, let's do it. Let's do it. And so we completely changed, or I did, I completely changed our philosophy. And it was just, just look at the overall standings. Just look at the overall like categories. Forget the league. Only know the league as like uh, an input into how the fab dynamics are on Sundays when people are picking up, how the spends are, who people might be targeting, and how would that affect who we'd be able to get. Um, it was kind of like the league was a... I know this maybe will sound bad, but like a distraction to the, they're an impediment to the overall goals. And um, I don't know if it was on May 21st. I, it probably wasn't. I think neither of us were probably that confident <laughs> that we had a shot because there's 795 teams. We're 480th. So we're in the bottom half. We're 10th in the league, like you said. And then we just started crawling up. And then at some point it became like, you know, we're in the top 100. Um and I, I think I'm talking too much, and no, Brian's okay. the real champion here. But <laughs> like the the most fun was as we were getting down into like we're, oh we're in top twenty oh we're in twelve and like we just like take screenshots of like 
when we cross over to like eighth overall and like I'd send him a screenshot and then he'd send me like seventh overall. <laughs> it's like, like that was like the most exciting part. Yeah, that uh, Dylan makes me sound delusional and uh, I, I love it. I love it. I was, I, I think that, that um, to be talking about first place while we're in like 483rd or whatever it was, but I was like, I think what was really interesting is uh, Zach Waxman had, um, kind of a, a where were these guys last year? Um, and that makes no sense if you don't understand what I'm talking about. So basically he would kind of profile say, okay, May 21st, the top 10, the guys who finished in the top 10, here's where they were ranked at this point in the season. And there were a couple of like, I think 300 something, 200 something. So it wasn't, I think, you know, having played for a while as well, I didn't think that anything was necessarily set in stone, right? But I, I definitely did not think we were winning the overall at May 21st. So I just want to kind of clear the air with that. Um, but what ha happened as well, like there was Casas, but, but really like some of the things just kind of happened. Like we kind of liked the team and I, I don't think either one of us, you know, Dylan and I did not, not think the team was as bad as it was playing. And so we had Blake Snell who had, a, I don't have the exact numbers, but a really rough April. Right. And then he obviously, you know, when goes on to win the Cy Young, um, we had Joe Musgrove, we got Joe Musgrove in the seventh round. He was hurt for like the first few weeks and even delayed a little bit beyond that. And then he comes out and then we threw him, um, probably, you know, unwittingly in the Mexico game, right? And so he gets bombed in that game and it takes a while for those ratios to correct. We had uh, Mookie Betts also started pretty slow. And then Corey Seager had his, I think it was like a hamstring or a quad thing pretty early too. So all of those guys kind of kind of rounding into their like, you know, production that we kind of, you know, end of season look back at. Um, that all started, I think, around, you know, early June and stuff. So th that, that climb happened pretty quickly. Uh, we were just like, just need to kind of keep fighting through and stay healthy. And then obviously the Casas edition um, kind of started to put us on a trajectory that that I think we could see even as it got to like 200. I was like, okay, all right. So um, yeah, that was kind of, I think, a, a, a summary of how we went from 43rd and, and the mindset there. So <clears throat> you said, you know, it's late in August, you, you finally overcome the hurdle. You're first in the overall. Um, was there a point leading up to that, like after the trade deadline, um, maybe even like mid July, cause obviously it doesn't happen overnight where your, your belief started to, to show up a little bit. Like there was faith in the team that you could potentially make a run. Um, cause as you said, you know, 480th overall at that point, um, not typically a recipe for winning an overall contest, et cetera. Um, when was it that, like, what was the turning point? I don't, for this, so this, this is going to be me talking. I, I don't remember where it was, but we had Kyle Harrison, um, Blake Snell, Reese Olsen, Alk playing, I think it was like Monday for a two start. And we were just hoping to get some Ks. And this might have even been Harrison's debut. And it was mm -hmm. just like everything worked out. Like Olsen struck out 10 and Snell struck out like 11 and then Harrison struck out like 12 <laughs> reds. It was just like everything was just falling into place. And we gained like 140 points or something like that that day. And it was like on top of the world. Um, also quickly falls apart. Um, at that point, it was like we kind of like we had so much depth. Um, it, it felt like on our pitching, we had depth in our hitting. The, the Mookie Betts getting like second short and outfield 
um, eligibility. Tommy Edmond was second short outfield eligibility. Ryan McMahon was second and third. Yandy with first and third. Like we had a lot of flexibility. Um, so it was kind of like we could put in the best hitter for that half week um, without much like worry. Like it's like, yeah, let's put this outfielder in or let's put the second baseman and we don't have to kind of like uh, sacrifice or compromise of like who we're going to end up taking out because we just take out the worst player because we could just rotate the, the pieces. Um, that was very helpful. Um, when we were, we had a big lead ish, um, at the beginning of September. And so what I did is like an idiot. I took the weekly performance of everybody, all 795 teams. And I said, I tried to calculate if someone got to 6,700 points or 6,800 points, cause it's harder to gain points as you get up to the top because you've kind of maxed out on certain categories. How do teams perform over the next four weeks once they hit 6,800? How do teams do for the next three weeks, et cetera, just to see how, how volatile is it once you get to the top? Um, and it, it, seemed pretty, it seemed pretty interesting. The, the average, the average four-week change once you got to 6,700, 6,800 was like negative. Um, and we were gaining points. And so it just felt like what happens is like if you own any stocks and they're going up, you think it's going to go up for forever. Or once you're sliding, it's like this is never going to end. It just felt like, whoa, we're making positive gains. Um, and it looks like this ride is never going to end. Um, and then, of course, it, it did for the second week of September, third week of September, fourth week of September, just like we stagnated and panic started to set in at least on my end of like uh, it's going to be so devastating to have been holding on for three weeks in september in first place and then like maybe lose on the final like half week of the season um so i think there was a belief that it was feasible in september we wanted i wanted to be first place in september 1st so i could say at least we're first place in september 1st um but it felt like it was actually feasible to me that we could do it we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I don't know, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of my, my thinking as well. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that day, I think it was, yeah, it was Reese Olsen, Severino, Harrison, and Snell. And I think we, you know, we we had, our ratio was really good to that point. So we were expecting some ratio damage. And I think they all went out and just had just gems. And so in some ways we were kind of, we I think if I look back, we, we could have had more points than strikeouts because this all happened maybe with like, I want to say like six or seven weeks ago, um, probably six weeks ago. And then, um, I look back and I'm like, man, I think we should have done a better job. Like to finish with our, our ratios were kind of in the 99th percentile, uh, but our strikeouts maybe more in like the 92nd percentile. And so we should have, we had, we had some points to gain there and we should have thrown more two starts, uh, you know, two steps, but we just didn't quite anticipate such a good week on that particular week. And then even that said, we were kind of mapping out our starts and then we just had another week with about three, what was supposed to be the like third to last week, we should have had what we expected were three double starts from Resolson, Severino, and Harrison. Harrison gets sent down, uh, Severino gets hurt, and then Resolson just never quite got his his two steps. So, um, you know, it's a little bit frustrating. And then, you know, it wasn't complete lack of planning, but as I look at it now, or as I was looking at it, you know, contemplating possibly losing, thinking, man, those strikeouts were what we really could like easy points to gain, you know, somewhere along the way. So, yeah. No, but uh, that was exactly what happened because Severino, that's right. Thanks for reminding me. Severino looked like he had turned the corner. Like he was starting to get strikeouts now. He wasn't giving up like the five runs in four innings or whatever. And it's like he had strung together two good starts in a row and, and it kind of sounded like, all right, he's back. And so we have this guy who now is going to contribute for the rest of the year. And Kyle Harrison's debuting and dominating. And it's like, okay, so we've got a Cy Young award winner here now for the next month. Like, this is it. And then as Brian said, it all kind of collapsed. Those three guys had to start. We had six starts lined up from guys we thought were going to contribute. And then we ended up with like one and lost two pitchers. And now how are we going to like backfill and have actual starters that we're going to have for the rest of the year? Like I, for one, was definitely a bit worried about that. Um, Were there any like ads that you made uh, over the, the last stretch here in terms of, you know, guys that you did end up backfilling with that worked out? We got Grayson. I don't know what, what, what month, hey, Brian, you can, you can <laughs> remind us. Um, Grayson was struggling, as you know, at the beginning of the year, he got sent down and then, uh, you know, he was starting to get it together in AAA. And so we thought, you know, let, let's grab him um, because, he is a stud. He has the pedigree. He 
can, and we've seen this many times where a, a rookie pitcher struggles, gets sent down, comes back up, and then it is, turns the season around. Um, so Grayson was a key one, and he was kind of a stalwart for us for the last few weeks. Like he, I don't think he stumbled really at all. He was either mm-hmm. he got the win or he got strikeouts or he got both. Um, our only fear, I think, was he may get shut down or, or reduced in innings because they don't want to you know, overtax him. And if they're going to go deep in the playoffs, they, they may kind of hold him back a bit. Um, but he was a key pickup at the end. But we also was- had a bunch of duds, I think. Like we, we picked Jordan Lawler up. Um, we overbid, right. like there was the runner up was a dollar and we was like 20, 22 bucks or something like that. I don't remember. Um, and that didn't work out. And that same, that same week we got Kyle Wright, who we thought might come up and maybe had kind of turned it around AAA, and he had some two starts lined up and stuff and he didn't work out. Um, yeah, it was just more like we, we, we see the, the week ahead. We see what categories we need and who can help us. We look at the first half of the week. We look at the back half of the week. Um, and then we just kind of make our picks and just try to optimize as much as we can. We didn't really spend too much on, on uh, like, we didn't overbid on the Ellie De La Cruz's or Matt McLean's or the Bobby Miller's or Bryce Miller's or any of that, like, Fabapalooza stuff. We, we missed that. We, we went with Chris Bubich. That scared me that you know we spent 200 bucks or whatever and like we got to like kind of pare it back um we may have overcorrected but so we missed out on kind of like the big splashy ads um but i mean clearly didn't need it necessarily um but yeah i don't know brian if you want to add anything i feel like i'm talking too much yeah no i mean that was that was it like i think we, we picked up grayson it looks like on, on june 4th and he had been just into the minors. And so we probably sat on him for a couple of weeks and then, you know, he comes up and just imagine like for July, I think he was, um, you know, July on pretty much just a mainstay in the rotation. So we lost Musgrove at some point, I want to say maybe six weeks to go. Um, and then, you know, kind of just kept going. He was, you know, Musgrove from, you know, the first month and a half wasn't great, but I would say there was a three month stretch where he was a top, you know, maybe five pitcher or so. Um, with no statistical background, <laughs> no statistical backing for that, but like he was just dominant. He was really good in carrying yeah. us for a while. So um, one thing that, that uh, Dylan and, and Jeff, this won't surprise you, um, really good idea. So we use, you know, we would every week we would download the Razzball, uh projections, right? Monday through Thursday and Friday through Sunday and kind of, you know, have that as like just a dollar value guide of, of where some of these things are. Well, we were really uh, doing very well in runs and uh, batting average. And so Dylan then created his little Dylan adjusted um, dollar value for, um, I'd say that's about six weeks ago as well. And that then reweighted those projections based on our own category standings. So basically our, you know, he found out the SGP for us versus what Rasball was using for like a, a, you know, a neutral team. And so it more heavily weighted guys like, um, you know, Drew Waters, or even like the last week, Joe Adele, you know, guys who probably gonna have a bad batting average, but you know, they might have some power, might have some speed. So those guys became, we were able to kind of put a, a more, a more concrete dollar value, at least, you know, expected from what we were, where we sat. And so that, that was obviously great and, and super helpful and not something I would have done uh, or have done historically. Right. I, I just don't have that skill set. but more importantly, I would be looking at it going, well, I need steals. And so I would just say, G1 Bay, like I wouldn't know the difference between G1 Bay and his three, three games versus Matt Walner and his three games. Right. If, if, cause we needed both power and speed. And so I'd have been like, uh, I'm going to go with one or the other, you know, whichever. 
And he was able to kind of distill that into a more, a more uh, you know, a number that we were able to use. So we did that and we really started breaking it down. Um, you know, historically, I write out the 14 for each week. I write out the, you know, the 14 batters on a pen and paper. And then I do my nine pitchers with their matchups. As it started to happen, and as we were kind of getting into this, I think more probably around early August, I was doing two, two lists of the hitters, right? And so I would have their first first half of the week dollar value and their second half of the week, um, you know, again, using the, the Dylan adjusted value and then really see like how we can maximize every dollar from there. So that was um, super key. Yeah. The thing right. I liked about that too is is we'd have the Rasball dollars in one column and then we'd have <laughs> these Dylan adjusted numbers that Brian's talking about in the second column. And you could see if if there's a big discrepancy, if Rasball is saying like it's he's minus six bucks for the week, but we're saying he's plus 12 for us, we know we can get that guy cheap. And so that would kind of inform our waterfall uh, setups to know like, you know, we're going to get this guy. And this guy is going to go for more because he's got a higher projection because he's going to get betting average. He's going to get runs, but we don't need him. So like we don't have to have him near the top or we should have him near the top, whatever as the case may be. So it was helpful to be very like team specific uh, with the player raiders. Um, so yeah, I think that was helpful. I think, I don't know if it was as helpful as, as Brian lets on, um, but uh, it, uh, it was helpful. And it, it made us think that we, we were on the right track, that we were doing the right things and we we're targeting the right things. And we had a process that was, that was coming to fruition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, in the end, of course, you you take down the title. Uh, you take down the main event. Um, I don't know if there was a point. I know I was in communication with you, Dylan, on like Saturday and Sunday. But I don't know if there was a point on that day where you felt relieved at any point or if it was like not until the, the final standings came out that you fully believed it and accepted that you had won. I can't wait to hear this answer. <laughs> um the whole week was nail biting um i had all the pitchers that all of our competitors had going and the relievers and i'm like crossing them off and like okay this guy got pulled in the fourth okay this is good or this guy this reliever came in in the seventh and so that's good and like just trying to map out like what is the actual feasibility of them catching up and that thing i was saying about like the percentage that they could gain realistically in five days in four days in three days etc um it was nail biting for a while and then the second last day so i guess saturday night we had a good day we gained points um second and third and fourth had, had kind of a middling um this is my recollection i'm sure this is not accurate a middling day and they didn't really gain points it's like their runway is done they have the last day we needed we needed Toronto to clinch so Gossman would not pitch. That's right. And that and they of course they didn't win, but Texas won. And uh, we I didn't want Seattle to win because then Kirby would pitch, but it ended up he ended up pitching anyway. Um, and then we wanted Bradish uh, like the Orioles to clinch, and so maybe Kyle Bradish is not going to have the two start week. And so it looked like he was going to sh throw a short game on Sunday. That looked good. Pablo Lopez threw a short game. Sonny Gray threw a short game. Like all the guys that they had that they needed to come through were kind of getting knocked off and it started getting good. And then Saturday night, we had a, a lead that looked insurmountable. And I think Brian and I were joking that like we got our first good night's sleep, <laughs> mm -hmm. of, like the, literally of the last month because it, like it seemed good. Um, and then uh, I, uh, yeah, 
I don't know if, you, if Brian wants to finish no, it off or, no, or that's not. It. That's about pretty much the trajectory. I think that, um, yeah, the runway topic was key, right? Like until you get down to a certain number of days and you just do the math, it's just like, it's really difficult for some of these guys. But even with three days, like felt good, but not great, you know? Um, and like I said, I think earlier is like with a week to go that on that Monday, I, I did not, you know, we, I think we were you know the favorites because we had a lead, but I think we were both very, very concerned about, um, I think it was, it was really um, the, the two teams right behind us, in addition to like other teams, but there's really two teams that had a very clear pathway. And uh, if things went really well and um, yeah, we're, we're sweating it for sure. And then, and, you know, Dylan kind of mentioned this earlier. It's like we had stretches where we had, you know, it, it's not going to last forever. And when it is happening, you think it's going to last forever, but sometime in August, I think we had 23 homers one week, like 23 homers, eight steals. And I'm like, this is great. Our team is great. We're going to keep doing this indefinitely. But then in September, middle of September, we had days where it was one home run, three RBIs, no steals. And uh, we, you know, we, we didn't care too much about the average, but it was just days where you're just like, what is, are, are, are we ever going to get stats ever again? You know? And uh, those were, were tough days because, you know, we have to wait another, you know, 16 hours or whatever it is, you know, for these games to start back up. And you're just sitting there waiting and hoping to, you know, things kind of change a little bit. So yeah, um, pretty intense. That's unbelievable. Well, uh, it was well worth it. And, uh, you know, in the end, you guys end up taking down the prize. I guess the last thing I'll ask you guys here, um, and it might be nothing, but were there any big lessons, takeaways, anything you're going to hold on to going into next season outside of obviously just the victory? But, um, you know, even for seasoned players like you, I know, Brian, you're more seasoned in the main event space and, and high stakes space, but certainly we, we both would agree, uh, having worked close with Dylan, <laughs> but he is no slouch himself. Um, so really, was there any like big takeaway lesson epiphany that, that happened from this season for you guys? I will go first because Dylan's not talking. Um, you know, I think, I think that, that this team, it, it did stay really healthy. I, I want to say like that, like, you know, I, I think that, to me, I think there's, you know, I was talking about this over the weekend with some, some friends. Um, you know, I think that to, to get in a 795 team field, you have to both play really good and run really good, you know? And I, I don't want to take away anything from like, you know, those, those Otani teams. I mean, those teams were, were probably one injury. If it's a Mookie Betts injury instead of an Otani injury, you know, it's probably unfolds differently, you know? So I think that the, the big takeaway, and even the final week, I did feel like, yeah, those teams didn't hit that point total, but it's not to say they couldn't. And in some ways, like a final table in poker, I think that, you know, you try to just get in that position. And if anybody, you know, I'm again, I'm not an expert, but like if you're in that position and, you know, you have a chance in, in there and that's kind of what you're really hoping for. Um, I know some people I'm thinking in particular, Phil DeSos 2021 had kind of put it to bed pretty early, but I, I mean, at least, you know, in that space when there's like three weeks to go, four weeks to go, and you're in that final 10, that's, you know, never you know think it's under you know completely under wraps and that you know if you're outside the top three or four like there's still a chance to kind of make that surge um i think and, and realizing maybe that it's there's got to be that component of of running good as well and uh you know you kind of just have to hope that happens and really I, I think that's um it makes it to me a little bit more like fickle which i think is not necessarily a good or bad thing i just think that this idea maybe that like i can I'm sure I'm guilty of this. I think I can outrun the variants, right? Like I'm like, I'm like, I'm, you know, could just outwork and just do it. And then like, 
I could even weather the storm, you know, but really like, I think that, that I look up and I'm like, there were a lot of smaller moves that we made that at the time seemed just very small and end up working out and like being good three week plays that, uh, yeah, you wouldn't have thought. So I think just, um, I don't know if it's humbling, but it's definitely like a, a really kind of create a, a clear picture to me of, of how things can change there. Um, depending on who gets hot and Evan, I'm just to keep going here, but like Evan Carter, I think you asked for common players. I think three of the, three of the top six teams, maybe Dylan, correct me, but like they had Evan Carter and, you know, we did not, we were, had some lines where he was on it, but he was farther down. And then every time this is happening, we're just cringing because we, you know, not like we weren't familiar with Evan Carter. We just did not get him. And then, you know, watching all these guys have him. And I mean, if the season had gone on none of the week, you know, could have been a different story. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, it's like to bid on an Evan Carter in this example, like we have to drop someone. And if we like Andrew Benintendi, maybe he's not performing, but like probabilistically, Andrew Benintendi should do better than Evan Carter um, or Mitch Haniger, for example. Like it was like, I can't abide the idea of dropping like a, a <laughs> veteran who's going to have, you know, six games played over this rookie who might become what Jordan Lawler was for us. Um, so it's difficult and to, for me to like want to invest heavily and then maybe it, have it be a zero. And then there's the opportunity cost of dropping someone for it. But then like, as Brian's saying, seeing like Zach Geloff or Matt McLean or Evan Carter just going on these tears and just keep putting up production is very difficult to watch. Um, part of the thing too, of the way we, we built the team and I don't know how, how, how deliberate it was, but we had batting average and we had ratios in pitching. So we didn't have to worry about it. We didn't have to have a great like eight inning, no earned runs to gain points. We just needed strikeouts um, and we had a cushion. So um, some of the teams are chasing us. They, they, they needed batting average or they needed like ERA. And so like they had to have like 80 percentile weeks to gain points. And we didn't have to worry about that <laughs> theoretically. Um, of course, it ended up we we were worrying about it because we weren't we were in our tenth percentile or whatever it was. Um, but in terms of what we what I learned or takeaways, um, so like I I play TGFBI, which is the same format, fifteen team league overall, same rosters, same fab, everything is on the NFBC platform, and I, I had some success there. And so I thought the transition to main event is basically the same thing, but just everything's sort of magnified because there's a, a larger financial investment and people take it more seriously, but it's a completely different world. Like just what Brian like showed me <laughs> of like how it is. And like, I was like, I was a babe in the woods, not knowing anything, just this, the, the amount of, <laughs> of, of detail in like the, the fab bidding and like the week to week structures and seeing how other teams had bid and like seeing their tendencies and their trends and um just it's a completely different animal i was completely ill-prepared like had i not had brian like by my side being the captain and i had entered the main event on my own like i i would have been lost um so it's it's a completely different animal it's 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 yeah i mean it's high stakes fantasy baseball and you, you can't go in with your eyes, uh, like going in naive, like you have to have your eyes wide open because it's a completely different animal. Uh, I keep saying that, that phrase, but it's just what, what Brian's experience and steady hand and just like knowing how to navigate the, the site 
uh, like he's like, here, I'll show you how to set up the, the bid so that we can get this guy. And then if we don't get him, we'll have him here. And then like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can just put that as, as bid list number six and we'll never get to it because the only way to get to it is if we didn't get this guy in bid list four. Like all that stuff was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the logic of that was just like old hat to him. And I'm like struggling to try to figure out. And he's like, yeah, let me, let me just show you what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, oh, OK, now I get it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's the lesson I learned was it's a very humbling um, experience. Um, you can't go in with with hubris and think you know you know what you're doing, and it's like this is just like the same thing as any other league or my home league. Um, the stakes are higher, literally, and um, everyone's trying and everyone's everyone's very good. So the all the edges that you you had are like much 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 slimmer. Um, so yeah, an experience I'll never forget. Um, and uh, honored that I did it with uh, with Brian. There you go. I think it's a good place to end it. It's, uh, as you said, a completely different animal. It's the NFBC, the marsupial of the uh, <laughs> fantasy baseball world. Um, <laughs> guys, I want to thank you for, for joining me, taking some time to sit down, uh, let you get back to enjoying your victory and your large cash prize that you've... Uh, <laughs> taken home uh hopefully uncle sam doesn't take too many taxes out of that because you earned every dollar for sure um this is really insightful and i hope uh, all of our listeners got something out of it and uh all the more reason to listen to dylan because he knows what he's doing so take his advice and ignore mine on all future podcasts this has been the baseball america fantasy podcast for dylan for brian i am jeff thank you for tuning in When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.